Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is slowly going down to 0.1%. That's right. More about that in a minute. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, is Dr. Nia Mahanti. How are you, Doc? I am. I'm. I'm a bit cold. A bit cold. Oh, like a bit chilly. A bit chilly. I it's thought a bit it's cool. Well, I thought it's, it's spring, but it's not. Cold snap. Cold snap. We're in New South Wales, for those who don't know that. And uh, yeah, mate, we had. I mean, I we're recording this in Southern Highlands where I live, and we had 23 or 24 the other day, which felt like paradise. Maximum 14 today. That's gonna be nine degrees on Saturday. Where the hell did spring go? I don't know. Do you reckon uh, it's uh, out in sympathy with the economy? Uh, I'm going to just talk to Spring and figure it out. <laughs> would you do that for yeah, me? Yeah. If you could do that, that'd be really, really helpful, mate. I'm sure plenty of people would happily take you up on it. Yeah. The good news while we're in weather, though, is they're getting some really good rains in Western New South Wales and South Australia, which is kind of cool. And you saw the drought broke there, I think in July. Um, South Australia, some rural South Australia, regional South Australia, hasn't had rain even during that period, but they actually got some. I saw some some photos on Facebook that uh, in the Flinders and other places they actually got some rain. So at least, as I say, an ill wind. It's an ill wind that doesn't blow some good. Hopefully... Uh, well, we're getting cold. Hopefully, they're getting some rain, and that's that's a hopefully a, a pretty good thing, yeah? Sounds good to me. All right, let's get on with the podcast, because speaking of, uh, I don't know, I'll try and make a tangent later and insert it, edit over this one. Um, we've got a big, we got a lot of stuff to talk about, and it's a pretty big macro-y kind of day today, I have to say. Um, we're going to start with the RBA and and Deputy Governor Guy DeBell's comments that have the entire economic and share market world talking. We'll talk about, despite some concerns about that, massive ongoing retail growth and the borders are opening. How do we square that circle? I want to do a little bit of a quick rant because I like to do that, mate, about some of the headlines we've seen recently. We'll talk about poor old Westpac. Do you have any sympathy left for Westpac or are you still... I sympathise with anybody paying a big fine. <laughs> it's a, and, and that is a big... But you reckon your speeding fines are bad. You wait till you find out how much Westpac's got to pay. We'll talk about the NBN because you basically want to and you're thinking to rant about it, aren't you? I love the NBN. <laughs> You love the NBN or you love ranting about the NBN? They're different oh, things. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> I will mention Elon Musk in passing. Hopefully not much longer than that. We'll talk about some IPOs. We'll talk about, well, this is kind of only tangentially related, but it's kind of a funny story and it's worth talking about. The Victor Lawnmower is going robotic. You wait till you get on that one. And if we have some time, we will, of course, dip into the full mailbag. Let's get on with it, mate. Let's do it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. We always start with a macro doc, or at least almost always, and there's normally some things to talk about. Um, I don't know they get, well, I was going to they don't get much bigger, but it's been a busy year. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I can't make that claim, but we saw Guy DeBell come out on Tuesday, heard him come out and talk about the economy, that the recovery would be uneven and gradual, I think were the two words he used. And I think we could pretty much agree with that. He also, though, was pretty clear, at least in most economists' mind, and we're recording this on Thursday, the 24th of September. We'll know in a couple of weeks' time whether this is hyperbole or real, but the market took his comments to say gonna, the RBA is going to cut rates yet again from a quarter of 1%, which is the current official cash rate, to 0.1%. It doesn't get much lower than that without going negative. At the same time, on exactly the same day, the federal budget apparently, according to reports, is tipped to announce the there's no allowance being made, no forecast being made for extending JobKeeper or JobSeeker payments. That, on the same day, mate, seems a bit of a weird juxtaposition. Let's start with interest rates. Guy DeBell saying we'll probably cut rates to 0.1%. Of course, he said nothing of the sort, but he, in, in bureaucraties, in central bank language, dropped enough hints that every economist, including Westpac's Bill Evans, speaking of Westpac, is forecasting that they will go to 0.1%. Your thoughts on that? Uh, my thoughts are that cutting rates any further have 
0.1% of a difference. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think I think it's uh, uh, you know we have Dr. Lowe uh, as uh, our uh, as our governor, so therefore our <laughs> rates are very low. Um, what can I say? I mean, I'm uh, yeah, I've been always skeptical of their. Um, you know, asset price inflation business that yeah. they are into. Um, I think this is this is going to all end badly. When yeah. I don't know, but yeah. yeah, I'm not a fan of their uh, you know their process of cutting, which mm-hmm. uh, is is all more or less is about um, asset price inflation and nothing else. So. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, like, you know, they'll have a 0.1% impact. Sure, they can cut from that to maybe zero and then maybe negative. We'll see. I, I completely agree with you, mate. I, I, I really don't... I, I mean, look, people aren't paying 0.25, so I don't want to muddy the two together. Rates are at 0.25. You can get a loan and I'll do a bit of a hashtag get a better rate promo here. Um, you can get a home loan, a fixed loan from the 2%. You can get a variable loan from the 2.5%. Um, even allowing for that, I don't know who's borrowing at two and a half, who's not borrowing at two and a half, who would borrow at two and a quarter. You know, let's, let's assume it gets passed on by the banks. Let's assume that the 0.25 becomes 0.1, so that's 0.15 of a percent. Two and a half goes to 2.35. 1.99 goes to 1.84. Oh, I, I mean, it's not just, it's not that simple, but it's also not that much more complex. Businesses who aren't borrowing now, homeowners who or home buyers who aren't borrowing now who would all of a sudden raid the piggy banks when there's you know 1.84 rather than 1.99 i mean for all these purposes most people don't know what rate they're paying in fact so much of any of us are paying too much back to get a better rate you could save more by just renegotiating your loan than getting an rba pass-through rate cut i just i i i mean i guess more is better than less in the rba's view and i guess everything's on the margin so i guess there are some marginal borrowers who might borrow a little bit more some business who might start a new project because rates become that much more attractive maybe there's some sort of capitulation I don't want to do it Don't alright fine I'll do it rates are so low I guess I can't not do it I mean there are some psychological impacts here but I just I really don't get it mate I, I, I'm not expecting you to disagree or even necessarily add unless you've got something to add because I just completely agree with your point I'm, I'm frustrated by the idea that this makes even the slightest bit of difference yeah I, I think you know my view for a long time has been that there's a structural issue that needs to be addressed, mm. right? And the structural issue really is you want to encourage people to take individuals to mm. take on debt yep. or entrepreneurs to take debt. <laughs> and that debt in turn then creates new businesses. Yeah. And that new businesses then create new jobs. And, and basically you want to create That's that idea, cycle. Right? Yeah. yeah. Instead, it, I think the cycle here is we want people to take on more debt so that there can be more consumer spending. Uh, I think, you know, there is only so much consumer spending that you can do after which, well, you can't spend, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's so right. what else do you do? What else do you do? And I, I think in, in the, the current circumstances that we are in, when you know where restaurants really, mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about, I was thinking about Christmas now, like, I mean, one of the big things that people do during Christmas time is, you know, there are these office Christmas parties. Well, mm-hmm. there are no offices, and you can't really host a Christmas party because you've got limitations on the number of people, yeah. right? So there's only so much spending you can really do in the current environment, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, you, you know what? Yeah. So, I mean, okay, I'll not fault uh, the governor and his deputy because, I mean, they've, you know, they've got only one thing that they can do, which is like 
If I was there, I would just abolish the central bank yeah. <laughs> altogether. I'll look at because, because, the look at. Can, because the only thing they can do is cut <laughs> rates <laughs> and nothing else. I mean, what you know, what else? Have they do? Yeah, 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 much left. You know, much not left to do. I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. paying all these people, uh, you know, millions of dollars for doing basically nothing. Well, I, I, I can do you it. Job you know, I'll actually, actually, I'll do it for free. <laughs> I'll just cut the rate every so often um, uh, and just take it oh. to point uh, point one. So I mean, you know, I have a cynical view on this, but yeah. I think it's not really. Um, you know, and here's the thing, right? The big businesses like, say, BHP yeah. or Rio, which need to dig the ground, yeah. they can already borrow at record That's low interest rates. That's the thing. Like, so, what aren't you going to do? What, what project is, is unprofitable? Yeah. At, let's, say, let's say they're borrowing at three and a half. I don't know. I don't know what the they're not borrowing at three and a half. They're borrowing like at less than 2%. Right. Like but whatever number it is, what I'm saying is 0.15% of a difference. Like if you literally, so let's say, let's call it two and a half, split the difference, right? They borrow two and a half. They, they won't do it at two and a half, but all of a sudden a project is miraculously profitable at 2.35. Yeah. But, it just but, makes no sense. But it makes no sense. And then at the same time, I think, you know, for, for the big business, mm. what Australia's rates are have basically zero impact. Like I mean, they these guys are borrowing at international markets at record yeah, yeah, low yeah, rates, yeah, yeah. right? There are all these sovereign funds which are willing mm-hmm. to give them money for basically just keeping money, yeah. keep my money, yeah, right? right. <laughs> well, negative yours in, in the Europe, right? You borrow money out of Europe, you don't have to pay money ever. Yeah, you just don't have to pay anything. So I mean, I don't know what yeah. it, it solves, and if yeah, so I think I it's, yeah, I so. Anyways. Now I have to say, mate, the flip side of this, and there are other issues that are not as binary as I'm going to present it, but let's just do that for fun. It is going to be done on budget day in theory. If it happens, it may not happen. Uh, some some people I have actually heard saying, "No, no, no, you've over, you've over you've overestimated what De Bell meant. He just meant we will do it if we have to, rather than going to do it on October six. But October six is also budget day, and at the same day, the RBA is saying we need to stimulate the economy. The government's saying, "Yeah, we're going to pull back on some of the money we've been pumping into the economy." I still. And I, I, I've, I've praised the government long and hard for a long time, except this stupid superannuation retirement wrecker campaign, the early access scheme. Um, I've praised them long and hard for what they've done to get the economy going. But I can't for the life of me understand why you've got two separate parts of policy, effectively, regulatory, policy, legal, legislative, call it what you want. You've got the RBA saying, we're going to pump prime the economy, put more money in. And you've got the government saying, nah, we're going to take some money out. We don't think it's necessary. It 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 does. I wouldn't say the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, but it does feel like they're at cross purposes, at least to some degree. When you've got the ABA trying to stimulate, at the same time the government is not not exactly trying to contract the economy, but by definition taking more money away. If you've got less money today you had yesterday, it's got to depress spending. It's got to depress everything else they're trying to otherwise encourage. Does that seem strange to you? Um, you know, I have a maybe slightly different variant view. So I mean, okay. my my view here is that well, I think the government did the right things then. Mm-hmm. And I think the right thing now is to reduce or cut uh, support, right? I mean, these things can't be there for essentially until yeah. infinity, yeah. right? Yeah. If it is there till infinity, yeah. then um, right. uh, then it's it's basically another form of uh, yeah. support, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ongoing support. Yeah. Um, so, so my view is that I think you know you need to have a date, yeah. and if you had advised what that date is, then that that date is that date, yeah. right? Um, now, I think it goes back to all the same thing. I think it's too focused mm. on current consumption, yeah. right? And the two problems in my mind with consumption, A, there are no things to consume, mm. right? If you can't go anywhere, you can't eat anything, yep. uh, <laughs> then what are you going to consume? You're going to consume stuff online. Maybe that's what right, you want right, to do, but right. that's not really going to help. Right. You know, that's going to help some other class of you know, sellers and buyers, <laughs> but not the existing yeah, people yeah. that you, you, know, you have on these, um, on these support schemes. Yeah, so yeah. that's number one. Now, number two, I mean, I think the bigger problem is that, is, is that you need to be able to create 
different types of jobs and yeah. different types of innovation, yeah. which whether you continue job seeker <laughs> or job keeper, it's mm. not going to do. Like mm. basically, if you had f- a bunch of people at a travel agency who are going to eventually be laid off either now yeah. or in six months time, yeah. actually I'd say what you really need is you need some scheme to train them up to be able to do something else. Yeah not to in delay the inevitable because what you're really doing is you're deferring the training that you could offer right, right, so right, right. Uh, you know so i think those are the uh, so i you know like i i think whoever was you know if that whatever that analogy was analogy mm. i think the prime minister used this which was uh, you know the people in this sort of coma stage or i don't know, i don't think he said coma but this this is like a transition hibernation? Huh? hibernation hibernation yeah he said hibernation so like basically if you have if you can't come out of hibernation now yeah you're not going to come out of hibernation mm. because I mean bears don't hibernate forever, <laughs> right? That, I mean that's fair, the reality. Fair. Yeah, fair. You, you got to eat at some point. You got to wake up and you need yeah, to yeah. hunt, yep, yep, right? Yep. So and the prime minister, I think, is saying, "Well, it's now is the time to go back and hunt. If you can't hunt, well, you have to find something else to hunt." So I would I would completely agree with I completely agree with everything you said, with the exception that if we if we create too much unemployment too quickly, and we suck that much activity out of the economy. It, it's the flow-on effect, right? It's, it's it's literally the kind of ripples from the middle of the pond. That I, I actually agree. You want to you want to have those people re, retrained, redeployed, reemployed somewhere somehow. But right now, if you do, say to all those people getting JobKeeper, off you go onto the dole queue, you would literally plunge the economy into a, a much deeper recession that probably lasts another six months because they simply don't. You know, the the, the money they're spending now at the local at the local supermarket, at the local hairdresser, at the local whatever online goes away because they simply don't have the money to spend. Like the the the, the the kind of broader economic impact of that is something we just can't withstand. The economy doesn't can't withstand that without having a longer or deeper or a second double dip recession potentially. Um, you want to be able to taper that at the rate at which the economy can deal with it. It's almost like taking a, taking a patient off drugs, right, or an addict off off drugs. Through you know, you go and go and cold turkey is one option, but if you take patients off some drugs too quickly, cold turkey is going to kill them. There is there is a, there is a path to that which isn't just well, you haven't got better yet. Yeah, you're going to have to try it yourself and see how you go. And I think that's the only thing. Not because those people or those jobs are deserving of, of support in and of themselves, just because the broader impact, the second order impact could be potentially very, very, very bad if we don't have a, a backstop for the economy. Yeah, well, but you know, there's a counter. So I, I don't want to sound like the guy who is, uh, um, you know, trying to take away people's money, but here's oh, yeah, the other yeah. here's the other side of, the, yeah. of it, right? If those jobs have not come back, mm. they're not going to come back. Mm. So, I know. You, so, so you do, you don't want to do it now. Yeah, you don't want to do it in three months because you'll still have the same problem. The same sectors are going to be continue to be affected, yes. right? If they, but if, but if the rest of the economy is growing by then, those people can be more easily. How's the absorbed. economy going to grow? The economy is not going to grow because well, because those no people are still spending relative to where others might be doing, right? Yeah, so but, if you're but, paying, let's let's say it's a hundred thousand people and they're getting job keeper or job seeker or something, that's that's putting money into the economy. If you take those people, add them to the unemployment queues. Their income falls by two thirds. They stop spending somewhere. Like it's it's not those people or those jobs or even those companies. It's the you know the multiplier effect through the economy. We know it's all about confidence and the multiplier effect. If they stop spending, then the local retailer doesn't get the money, so they can't employ someone to go and spend money at the Bunnings, and they can't spend someone to, that person's not going to go and spend money at the hairdresser. It's it's that flow on effect I'm worried about, not those particular jobs in those industries yeah. themselves. I mean, I mean I, my point is that you, we can make keep making the same argument. This is I think the classic case of in my mind of basically deferring making those hard choices i, I think that the the choice really is 
to you know use the opportunity now to make some fundamental changes to how you run your economy yeah. um, you know create new jobs create new opportunities instead of basically mm. doing the same mm. right every time you can't be doing the same thing well well you know I'm just going to defer mm. defer 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 yeah. uh, push 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 back um yeah like i mean i i don't know like i mean there's no yeah. probably right answer here yeah um no there's definitely not that, that's that maybe that's the biggest that, that's it we're all i mean this is this is such an un, uh, you know unprecedented story i just feel like we've spent so much money to you know, you know be the for me the worst part would be it's one thing to say let's not spend any money and and and, and see how we go having spent 100 billion plus if we if we come up you know six inches short <laughs> metaphorically speaking because we don't go that extra mile you know we've, we've wasted 100 billion by not spending 110 or whatever the numbers end up being that to me would be the ultimate tragedy right is not not that you haven't wrong but just that if we were to if we were to fall at the last hurdle we would have been better not spending anything at all and, and actually going through a deeper recession in the first place and coming out of it quickly or more quickly rather than prolonging this kind of substandard economic you know malaise um, and wasting 100 billion dollars of taxpayers money and probably intergenerational debt in the process I don't know. I mean, here's the thing, right? We don't know what would be the case if they had spent fifty billion. We don't know what the case would be if. No, of course. You know, it's, of it's, course. It's, so it's all like you know, it's all counterfactual. Of course, here. yeah. Like whether it's hundred fifty billion was spent or fifty was spent. Like, look. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, like, you're right. Uh, like. It, it, there's no, I mean, there is no way to know yeah. whether 100 billion is the right amount, yeah. 150 billion is the right amount, yeah. and 50 billion is the right amount. We could therefore make an argument that you just government just continues spending, yeah, and totally. you know, and continue spending to provide for those things that are not yeah. actually generating any income or generating, you know, basically, basically it's like a support system, right? And, totally, and then totally. may, maybe, you know, maybe the right solution then is just give everybody some money. I mean, if that's what you want to do, yeah, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like, I mean, in my, in my mind. If you had, I think in my mind, a scheme works as follows, right? If you yeah. said, I'm going to give money for six months, yeah, then you give money for six months. Because you did not promise that you're going to yeah. give money beyond six months, right? And therefore, in people's mind, there should have been a process right. in which you, part, you know, how do you deal with it post yeah. six months, yeah. right? Now, if the expect that's number one. I think there's a, there's also, I mean, the economists really don't help here, right? I mean, the economists love to talk about certain numbers. Um, <laughs> Surely not. So, like, I mean, <laughs> here's the thing. Unemployment is 7%. No, yeah, it's not yeah, yeah. 7%. Unemployment is like 14%. Yeah, yeah, Tell right. me the real unemployment number. It's not. Yeah, anybody right. who's getting JobKeeper that's and right. is not doing a real job. That's right. Well, that is basically unemployment. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we could have assumed that unemployment. See, it's, it's like all of those things that you want to desire. Like, oh, our employment is 7%. Oh, that country's unemployment is 12%. Yeah. Well, that country's counting the right unemployment. <laughs> you're counting the fake unemployment. Correct, of correct. course, your unemployment numbers are going to go up yeah, yeah. because yeah. you were counting the unemployed as employed. Yeah, right? that's right. So that's right. it's it's all of those things. Like you know, like it's a little bit of there's a little bit of you know drama involved, yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know I have not heard one economist Mm-mm. tweet our yeah. real unemployment is X yeah. because yeah. nobody knows what they're. You can't know. Unpl- that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. But how does every other country know what their real unemployment rate? Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. they, you know. <laughs> So it's it's all of these things. Oh, you know, our unemployment rate is this because hey, we are too smart. Well, <laughs> like it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Tell me the real deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah so it's, yeah. it's all of this. You know, so you know, I don't know. Yeah, My view no, is, it's like the point one percent. Like, well, it was two percent. Now it's like point two five percent. Yeah. Well, yeah. If stuff didn't work at two percent, it's not going to work at point two five percent. Yeah. It's hard, isn't it? I, I, I think, I, look, I, I, I think you're exactly right, uh, or at least I, I understand the, the point you're making. I still think I would be disinclined if the RBA thinks the economy needs more. It, it's hard to say 
it's right for the government to pull money while the RBA is putting money in. Like at some point, they've got to start talking to each other one way or the other, right? right? Like either either you are you agree together, hey, here's what needs to be done. You do it, I'll not do it, or I'll do it, you don't do it, or something. When they're literally acting in opposite directions, that's the problem I have, right? Like if the economy is that much of a funk that the RBA needs to cut, then the government needs to do something. And maybe it's not job commitment, something else, but they're literally, you know, their, their policies will be contractionary by definition. Even if the money's not justified in the current form, as you say, if there's a better place for the money, for the government to be pulling money out of the economy while the RBA is trying to pump money in, it's just, it's just madness, right? It's driving one foot in the accelerator, one foot in the brake. It, just, it makes absolutely no sense to me. I fixed that problem by saying we should just get rid of the RBA. <laughs> you did. I just you fixed did. that problem. I said, you know, I'll do the job for free. Oh. It's basically every so often you just got to cut rates. How hard is it? <laughs> well, what do you do now? 0.1? Even you would never well, do it. Well, just, just keep it at zero point, you know, 0.25 forever. <laughs> it's going to be at 0.25 forever. It's very simple. I will take, I promise, I'll take no money for doing that. I'm, I'm sure this will save at the bare minimum... <laughs> You know, twenty, thirty million dollars. There you Just go, Fools. You heard, you heard it here first, mate. Don't need the the bank of Doc. I like that. Yeah, the bank of Doc, mate. Um, so, speaking of which, I think that's the other the other thing that the um, Bell did kind of mention is, as per the U.S. Fed last week, he's basically saying, look, rates are low for three years, or you know, the foreseeable future. I can't remember the exact term he used, but effectively lining up exactly with the U.S. Fed. It may not be exactly forever, as you say, but uh, the RBA board meeting is not going to be very controversial for the next couple of years. Put it that way. All right, should we move on? Yeah, I can take that job too. That's also very easy. <laughs> now, mate, I'm going to have a very quick rant. Um, and I just, wanted, I just want to share an observation that I made this morning on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter, and you should, um, you'll be following me at TMF Scott P. If you're following Doc, you should be following him at Anirban Mahanti. And the Motley Fool's account is at the Motley Fool AU. Uh, that's where you can throw some questions and comments to us, by the way, to be answered on our mailbags. So do that as well. But I, um, I just, I just, it, it just struck me this morning. So again, recording this Thursday morning, uh, and I made the observation that two days ago, the headlines were uh, AS, uh, the, sorry, the headlines were um, uh, ASX having longest losing streak since April. The market had fallen four days in a row. Then yesterday, the headline was shares were up two percent. ASX has best day in nine weeks. And then this morning, the headline was ASX set to fall on fresh economic concerns. And those are probably. Maybe, maybe, possibly, probably, even real or at least you know reasonable expectations, reasonable, reasonable explanations of what's going on in the market. Let's assume they're even real. What the hell is anybody doing listening to the market trying to work out how to invest? I mean, really seriously, if you're if you're investing money and you're watching these headlines, I, I, I mean, it's no wonder people just freak out and don't do this stuff, right? I get it. I get how you must feel reading this stuff and taking it seriously. So, my general, general plea, my my hope, my my effort, my energy goes into saying, hey, please, just the headlines are probably right. They probably actually do, do accurately reflect what the market is thinking or doing as a whole. But if that's true, why are you listening to people who like that? Not, not the news. I'm, don't, I'm not saying don't watch the news. I'm just saying, you know, if, if there are people in the market who are literally changing their minds every six trading hours as to biggest drop, biggest gain, you know, set to fall on bad economic news, the coronavirus, the, the vaccine stuff. How many, how many moves do you reckon we've seen on vaccine news? They've got to be a dozen in the last two months? Vaccine hopes, vaccine hopes dashed, vaccine hopes, vaccine hopes dashed. And the market goes up and down and up and down. I, I, just, I, don't, I don't know how you could possibly try and take that in and actually remain a sane person. It just, it's got to mess with your head. Well, you know, I'm reading the, the, the headline right now says ASX to dive. You know what I was thinking? What's that? That Adam Gilchrist is going to dive and take a catch. <laughs> there you uh, go. It's, you know, I don't know what ball Tim, Tim ASX Tim Payne these is. days, mate. Tim Payne these days. Come you on. Know, I'm... I'm 
I'm in the Australian Gilchrist. I'm, 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 I'm in the Gilchrist. <laughs> so, um, Two good men, by the way. We have some good keepers in Australia. Gilchrist, who famously used to walk when he was out, I have massive respect. Have you seen the documentary The Test, the Amazon doco? I have not. It's now on Foxtel. Spectacularly good. Bit of language warning for those who are uh, sensitive, sensitive ears. Tim Payne comes across as exactly the sort of bloke you want leading your national cricket team. To the extent we want the cricket team to represent the best of us, he just comes across as a really, really, really good bloke. And I can't, couldn't be happier that he's captaining the team. How's that for a tangent? That's a very good tangent. Anyway, back to your point about Gilchrist diving. Well, my point is that is ASX playing cricket or what? Like, I mean, you know, is it, what type of feeling it's doing? It's just diving constantly. By the way, if you're on a diving board and you, you, you fell 2%, yeah. you wouldn't get very far into the pool. <laughs> yes, if, if a dive is a 2% fall, it doesn't, yeah. that doesn't help you much, does it? It's not helping you. So, well, currently, that's that's what it says. ASX to dive in Westpac. And you know what? It probably will. And it'll probably be up tomorrow or next week. And it'll mean absolutely nothing. You think about I mean, it's, here's the question for, for our... I mean, we all remember March, right? If you're listening to this podcast right now, tell me what headlines there were in July. Can you dive? think of a single headline for July? Oh, it must have been dive or... At some point, maybe or not. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the, the fact that, you know, if you think of like right now, it feels really serious. If you go back to July and say, should I listen to those headlines then? No, of course you shouldn't have. Bloody silly idea. But again, the headline... They, they, I mean, they are, they are commenting on what's actually happening. It's not so much the headline rides, the fact that the market is actually act, acting this way like a bloody, you know, five-year-old with too much red cordial. Like, it's just, it's just madness. But I, well, I'll give, uh, uh, you know, writers, I haven't seen yet, in, mm. in, or maybe I'm not, you know, maybe I have my mind has tuned it out. <laughs> I haven't seen $100 billion wiped off the ASX yet <laughs> in, in the last couple, few days. Uh, last, no, not the last few days. No, you're right, yeah, actually. Yeah, so th- that is like a... Maybe today? I don't know. Like, I mean, that, <laughs> like, I haven't seen that. $100 billion wiped off. Wiped off. $200 billion wiped off. You know, that never that, gets wiped on, by You know, the way. that almost seems like, you know, what are we wiping? You know, like, is it like the baby face <laughs> that we are wiping off? I don't know what you're doing, but like, uh, it's, I haven't seen that. So I'm waiting for that one. Doctor, um, have a campaign against metaphors. I'm, I'm hearing it now. You don't like no, dive, you don't like wiped off. I don't know. I'm saying the wiped off hasn't shown up. Uh, um, so, yeah, we'll keep our, keep our eyes peeled. Mate, um, Poor old Westpac. Speaking of wiped off, it hasn't, it's not 100 billion, but it's. you told me this morning 1.3 billion. No, that sounds like a wipe off. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that's real value, right? Shares will go back up again. Austrac is not giving you that money back. <laughs> Once it's gone, that is completely gone. That's that's real money. 1.3 billion dollars. from uh, Westpac. How much do you reckon they were trying to... Well, uh, we should be a little bit careful because I don't want to get ourselves in legal trouble. But how much money do you reckon a board is going to try and save... And have it cost us $1.3 billion. Let's not put that new computer upgrade in because it might cost 100 grand. Let's not do that. Let's not hire those new staff that are going to cost us half a million dollars a year. Let's not go through that process at the board, which might waste some time. $1.3 billion could have paid for a lot of. I mean, imagine the sort of Austrack compliant business you could create with $1.3 billion. It's an expensive shortcut they absolutely got whacked for. And I've got to say, Again, I, I mean, no malice or, or malintent towards Westpac, but man, you deserve that stuff. Like, it, you know, you, you've got very few jobs as a bank, very few kind of really core key things to do, right? And knowing your customer, knowing where the cash is coming from and going to, whether, whether you know, I mean, if you're a libertarian, you might say, well, the bank shouldn't have to care. And I guess you can have that view if you want, not you personally, but anyone. Um, but the reality is you're working in a jurisdiction where the government says you must know these things. To not have them, to not have listened to people who said, Hey, we don't have that information. Just 
boggles the mind, doesn't it? Like, and and frankly, one point three feels a bit harsh. I've got to say, but I also don't have a lot of sympathy for a business that, like, this is literally their core tenants. Literally, what they do you know, is is transfer money between parties. One point three billion dollars. Hopefully, it's a wake up call. Yeah, like I, I mean, I'd, I'd say that you know, like I mean, as you said, it's not something that they did deliberately. Yes, I think exactly. it's it's a, this sort of stuff happens in organizations, big organizations, right? Because yeah. there are so many moving parts to to compliance. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, if you've got old systems, different yeah. people responsible for different things, it is yeah. it's it is one of those things that can. Slipped yeah, through the cracks, yeah. you know, and unfortunately, slipped through the cracks, and they got caught. And in this, or, or at least, you know, um, Ostrak is saying that you know there, there is reason to believe that you should pay a fine. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's like I mean, yeah, it's a pretty expensive, expensive thing when it you know when you have to cough that kind of fine. So it's yeah, phenomenal, isn't it? Have you been listening to the most recent ones, by the way? No. So. I was listening to a podcast, a background briefing podcast by the ABC um, on the weekend, and there's a new scandal. It cost HSBC 4 or 5% of its share price on Monday, just gone. Um, apparently, there were more suspicious transactions for money laundering. They're actually flagged this time, globally. <laughs> Um, they're called SARS, believe it or not, suspicious activity reports. Which, given the given the given the COVID and kind of SARS virus, you know, God love them, but they come up with a better name, surely. Anyway, at least rename it now. Um, apparently, there's a whole lot of these things that were actually written suspicious activity between, you know, effectively organised crime, laundering money through bank accounts. That through a, a couple of big leaks um, investigated by a whole lot of a whole consortium of internal international j- uh, journalists. I'll spit that out. Consortium of international journalists. Um, yeah, apparently there's like billions and hundreds of billions of dollars have been transacted around the world with these activity reports that banks in theory should have A, written and B, acted on, and they haven't. Apparently it includes a couple of our banks plus some international banks like JP Morgan, HSBC, and plenty of others as well. So this may not be the last time we hear from Oztrack, is all I'm saying. Yeah, I think I read somewhere there's, there's, um, there's Bank of America, I think. Cause there's a few American banks, a few European banks, yep, yep, yep. a few banks out of Hong Kong, yep. uh, some out of Australia. You know, yeah, it looks like pretty much every bank that you can name is, is yeah, yeah. So there might be some more fines being, but the federal government budget might be subsidised by uh, by bank fines for a little bit. Does Austrac pay tax? No, it's a government body, so it doesn't pay any tax. Just collects that's it, passes it to consolidated revenue. So that's the whole thing is a tax. The whole thing, we exactly. That's right. That's literally yes. The fine, <laughs> the fine is by definition a tax. I mean, I guess they've got costs, right? So it probably goes to pay the agency's budget for a little while. But um, one point three billion that'll cover the that'll cover the cost for a bit. Mm-hmm. You should be able to afford toilet paper and uh, and and coffee for the tea room. Sounds like an idea. <laughs> Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. So you had a rant about uh, about the budget. I had a rant about headlines. You had a rant about Westpac. You get to go again. I love the NBN. Because you, well, <laughs> you, 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 you ran through the NBN before you recorded and then you put it on the agenda. I thought, oh, here we go. So so let's, 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 assume, let's assume that you have a, a view on this topic. The NBN, there's two things going on. The first mm. is that it's going to spend apparently $3.5 billion to put five to the home for everybody, finally, after Labor promising it, then the uh, coalition cancelling it because it costs too much. They're now apparently announcing plans to do it. And separately, or maybe not so separately, the NBN now is apparently worth $100 billion. Now, I'm going to say that if you're trying to sell an asset like the NBN, there was somewhat, if not ridiculed, at least probably not exactly valued... Yeah, not, not spoken of the highest possible terms. 
if you had to fix this reputation, you might possibly announce a plan to do fibre to the home so that you could consider yourself a world-class NBN and then you could possibly put yourself on the, on the chopping block. Is that too cynical? That doesn't sound too single. That sounds like exactly what's happening. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big NBN cynic. Uh, I, I mean, here's the thing. So there was a a proposed network, yes, which was supposed to be you know uh, high speed to home, uh, you know world class. Yes, that was then deemed to be too expensive. <clears throat> well, now apparently something has miraculously changed, and it's only now ten percent more expensive to be that network. It's a little strange. It, that sounds a little strange to now, me. Now, if I was generous, I might say, well, maybe the cost of technology have fallen or, you know, these things go down in price over time. I guess maybe it's cheaper now than it would have been back then, but that feels even to me. I'm an optimist. I'm a nice bloke. I try and be generous. I try and be a little bit, a little bit, you know, I try, I try and see things from both sides. Even I've got a stretch to get to that point. Well, the, here's the thing, right? You know, you employed a bunch of, you, you know, you, you buy a bunch of fiber. Yep. You employ a bunch of people to put the fiber in. Yep. It would appear to me in my mind that if you did the whole thing at one go, you, on average, on a per foot of fiber or whatever, you're on a per meter of fiber, yep. it's going to cost you less than actually redoing, digging trenches. Again, I get it. Lots of people are going to be employed because you're going <laughs> to dig trenches, buy stuff and put them together. It That's is, all good. It is, it, is kind of the, it is kind of the epitome of digging a hole and filling it back in again to create jobs. You're literally well, digging a hole and filling it back in yeah, again. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, you know, but I mean, you could have dug that hole That's true. using the same machine at that time. You got kind of close and then stopped. And then you stopped. So... <laughs> I'm very cynical about the cost structure here, and and oh. the, uh, of course I'll take it because you know my internet absolutely is abysmal. Yeah. Uh, I only get like 10, 12 megabits per second download yep. at peak yep. time, which is like <laughs> it's basically like being on dial-ups plus plus. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm I'm exaggerating, but it's <laughs> like it's not really. It's, it's not like, miles away. It's like basically like ADSL I was say technology. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, which for is what like we had before that. So, I mean, I don't know why we got rid of ADS. I was just stuck with ADSL. So um, I'm skeptical on this oh, one, on, on that front. Um, <laughs> yeah. So and then the 100 billion, I don't know if one fiber company uh. that has that kind of valuation uh, for a country of our size, um, you're not be generous if it's like a few billion dollars of valuation. <laughs> you know, how much is Telstra? Telstra's market cap is what, like 30, 40 billion dollars? If you know, on the top of my head, maybe 40? Oh, probably, yeah, yeah. Yes, I mean, so we are saying that this this company is going to be, you know, a two and a half X of, uh, of Telstra. I think that, Sounds over ambitious. <laughs> um, I mean, because you got some pricing power, right? If you're the monopoly provider, maybe you can charge kind of whatever you want. Ah, uh, well, I mean, there's a, there's a price at uh, there's a uh, there's a price point at which people say, well, "Thank you, I'm just going to walk, uh, you know, and not have an internet anymore at home. I'm just going <laughs> to use my mobile device." Yeah, right, um, right. But you know, you can't charge anything for it, right? And, yeah, yeah. And so I don't know. I'll give it a valuation of ten billion. Ten billion. All right. So you're going to buy it cents on the dollar. That's what it's really worth. <laughs> I uh, yes, I I have a feeling it's going to be uh, uh, there's going to be a sale announced very soon. Is my is my speculation? We'll see. I think it might be going to be fun. To, I don't know if it'll come in the gu- it might even come in the budget. How's that for a how's that for a uh, a big bold prediction? We should do budget predictions. I, I am predicting. I'm not ready. Hundred billion dollar NBN sale. I'm blindly speculating. They might just on the back of this announce a sale sometime soon. How's that for a, how's that for blatant I speculation? Had, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> I would say that $100 billion is not going to materialize. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to quickly, 
It's a bit of a ranty podcast this, this week. I don't know. Like, I'm just, I mean, I, I, so I'm going to rant in a good way. Now, you and I have had plenty of conversations about Tesla. And I think our listeners might be surprised to know you own Tesla and I don't. It might be a surprise to some. If it is a surprise to you, congratulations. And welcome to your very first podcast because you would know by now that Doc owns it, but I don't. Um, I was really impressed this week with Elon Musk. And I don't say that very often. Um, he's a super genius. I think he's done some wonderful things. He's also said some terrible things. And, and sometimes I worry about his... Um, what's the right word? I don't. I don't. I worry about his, him in charge of a public company sometimes because he's can be a little bit, a little bit volatile. That being said, shares in Tesla sold off twelve percent in a single day this week after the company's battery day, where the company announced it was going to go into a brand new innovative technology or trying to come up with one uh, that would revolutionise both the volume and the power from batteries. It was going to probably take three years, and by the way, we're going to make cars a heap cheap, a heap cheaper, and a whole lot of people are going to be able to afford them. Now, to me, that sounds like a pretty bloody good thing. And yet shares fell 12%. And I tweeted, I think it was yesterday, that for all the reasons they're to sell Tesla or to own Tesla, if you're selling shares on the back of that specific news, you really never should have held the shares in the first place. If you have whatever, whatever, whatever rationale you have for owning Tesla shares, whatever that might be, if you then sold them on the back of an announcement that batteries were going to get better and cheaper, the cars were going to get cheaper, and the company has a three-year roadmap for revolutionizing battery technology, if that's your basis for selling, I really, really can't help you. You're entitled to your own view. Do what you do whatever you want. I don't own Tesla shares, as I said, and I've, I've never been. I'm not a. I'm not. A, I'm not a lover of Elon Musk, generally speaking, as a, as a whole person. He's done some wonderful things and some questionable things, but I got to give him credit where it's due. This was a very sensible, solid, thoughtful announcement laid out the company's plans. He couldn't have been clearer about what the company's trying to do, the fact it wasn't there yet, the fact it was trying to come up with a plan. There's lots going on there and, and I get it. But I got to say, I, I was like, you know what, good on him. He's, he's done what I think is the right thing to do. He's been honest, open, reasonably conservative, reasonably balanced, level-headed, don't have all the answers, working towards something. So it was a really mature thing to do. And I got to say, if people want to sell for that reason, honestly, don't own the shares. Like just... I don't, I don't even know what you expected from the company. If you're buying just because you hope for announcements to go up, well, you kind of deserve the loss, right? Like if, if you literally your entire thesis is, well, they might announce something and maybe it might be awesome. Maybe the shares might go up, so I'll buy some shares. Um, that's, I mean, you might as well put your money on black at the casino. Anyway, a little bit of a mini rant. Um, bottom line, don't buy shares for silly reasons. Buy shares because you like the long-term outlook of the company and you think the shares represent attractive value. If that was Tesla two days ago, it's still Tesla today. The 12% fall makes absolutely no sense. Anyway, that's my little rant. Let's move on. Doc, I want to talk about IPOs. Um, interesting. I mean, these are very different companies, right? I don't, want to, I don't want to necessarily compare the companies. It's worth mentioning, though. So we talked about Snowflake last week. Um, this is a new data, data company whose job it is to um, basically provide, and I'll do this badly, Doc, but effectively uh, an interface to a whole lot of different platforms or potential platforms, a platform of platforms almost. It's above things like um, different cloud offerings to allow people to, um, to utilize a, a multi-cloud approach uh, for their data. That did spectacularly well on IPO, just phenomenally well. Then we had the Australian lender Plenty, P-L-E-N-T-I. The shares fell 22% on the IPO. And I don't really know if you have a particular view on Plenty. We talked, certainly talked about Snowflake last week. Um, but I just want, I wanted to mention for a couple of reasons. The first was just that sometimes there are people who say, oh, I want to go on the next IPO because it might go up. And it might like 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 Snowflake. Well, you know what? You might lose a quarter of your money like on Plenty. And I just, I just want people to remember that, you know, IPOs are not get-rich-quick schemes for anybody. Sometimes you might make money. Sometimes you might lose money. 
overall, who knows? And it just you know, if you if you're betting on a day one share price movement, you literally are a bit like uh, a bit like you know um, Tesla shares. You are literally gambling on if you're looking, waiting for one day changes, right? If you invest in the long term, great. If you think Snowflake's a wonderful business and we much bigger and better in five years time, buy the shares. If you think plenty is the same, buy the shares. Don't expect one day movements that are going to make you rich. They just sometimes they happen, and, and that's the that's the carrot, right? That's the that's the drug people get on. I want some of that. I want some of that. The people who jumped on the plenty IPO got a rude shock. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I view like I mean I mean it's true. Uh, you can't but you can't really know what the shares are going to do in any given particular day. I think that's the main point, and you can't buy on that basis. I think the basis of buying could be at an IPO. The only basis for buying would be. You you think that the shares are going to be worth a lot more um, in five years, ten yep. years time, yep. and you have a definitive price at which you can buy. So if you could buy plenty at an X dollar price, yep. you had an ability to participate in the IPO price at the yep. IPO price, and you thought it was the right price, then it's okay. I mean, same thing with with you know if you want uh, with Snowflake, you had a price in mind. Yep. I mean, the, the the main issue might be that once the the stock starts trading, mm, mm. you don't know what the price is going to trade That's at, right? right. So right. you need to have a price in mind. Yeah. You know, everything has a price. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think that's that's right. I mean, and you can't just be in it just because you know ev- not every IPO goes up. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the fact, right? Yes, yeah, lots of IPOs that go down. Yep, spot on. I think that's right. And I think you know, I, by the way, day one doesn't matter. Like, I'm not saying plenty is a bad investment because it went down, or even the Snowflake's a great investment because it went up. But the long term is going to tell the story. I'm not even saying don't buy shares at IPO. I think there are are risks and reasons not to from time to time. Like you don't have a lot of public public market history. And we've certainly seen plenty of companies that have done, I mean, Maya famously never ever hit its IPO price ever. <laughs> and frankly, at 20 something cents is very, very unlikely to uh, from here. You know, there's those things that happen. So you you know, you can you can absolutely lose money and keep, keep losing money. You can lose money, then make money. There are IPOs that have crashed and come back. Facebook, good example, did terribly post IPO and now is doing fantastically. Um, other companies that went up and kept going up, other companies that went up you know, and came down. So there, there are plenty of examples of all of that. Don't expect IPOs to only go in one direction and don't fall for the hype of just because it's IPOing, you have to have a view or you have to own the shares. Mate, I want to finish with just a, a fun story. And this is this is kind of in your wheelhouse a little bit innovation-wise. Um, I thought it was just a, an interesting it was an interesting analogy, right, for the way we think about technology, about companies. So I want to, I want to tell you a story and I want you to just get your thoughts on it. Victor Lawnmowers. Now, for those who those who may or may not know this, Victor Lawnmowers, V-I-C-T-A, it was named after its founder, Victor. I think it was Victor Richardson from memory. And I think he was the Chapel Brothers, speaking of cricketers, uncle who invented the Victor Lawnmower. Now, maybe I've conflated those two stories. If I have, please don't bombard me with social media grief, but I believe that's true. In any case, it was the, you know, it was, it was Victor Lomar, was Hills Hoist in the backyard, a 4 and 20 pie, a Holden, had none of those anymore, I suppose. Um, Holden gone by the wayside. Victor trying to kind of grasp the future, maybe keep up with the future, maybe invent the future. It's innovating by re- releasing, or about to release, a robotic lawnmower now if you haven't seen those things now doc you walked into my place this morning i had the robotic vacuum cleaner going um, my place is not exactly suitable for a robotic lawnmower i think you'd agree mate there's too many hills and rocks and trees and it would just be an absolute debacle you need a nice flat square lawn to make it work but the whole robotic lawnmower thing is is taking off and victor getting in on it you know the, the kind of the, the the old school push mower that you know used to break down need a kick and, and a refuel every now and again now going completely high-tech new world I just, I guess, I wanted to use it as a step-off point, mate, for thinking about innovation and and the whole concept of innovate or die. You know, you've you you, you kind of partly jokingly, but also with serious intent, talk about companies being dead if they're not growing it at, at fast rates. And I, I, I'll, I'll paraphrase part of your 
reason for calling them dead is that you know the, the, the future is being invented and people are moving towards the future so quickly that while they might not be dead now, if you're only growing at 2% and the rest of the world is growing at 10 you become irrelevant really, really, really fast. Now, I have no view on Victor. I have no view on its robotic lawnmower. I'm sure it's fine. Um, I'd be inclined to test it out, I suppose, if I had a lawn that was, was, was suitable for it, depending on the price. But it's kind of one of those things where, you know, I imagine our kids will fondly remember a time when their dads used to push a lawnmower around the, around the yard, right? Like the innovation is moving in such a way. I had to explain the rotary telephone to my young bloke about a year or so ago. And I vividly remember trying to explain, you know, you pick up the handset, you ring the numbers, you can't walk away with it. It's all there. You can't see the person you're talking to. You know, we, what we take for granted is is very different to, I guess, what the future might look like. Um, innovation, on the flip side, I guess there's other companies that have been around for, you know, years where people are predicting their deaths. I mean, Harvey Norman's one, Flight Center probably the other that was supposed to be dying as a result of, of the internet that's still, you know, 25 years later, COVID notwithstanding, but let's go back to January. Both businesses doing completely fine. Flights are doing pretty well for Harvey Norman kind of floating along. How do you how do you think about innovation, mate, when, in the context of, on one hand, we want to own the innovators and, and you do worry about the other companies dying. On the other hand, Flights has been a perfectly good investment since the GFC, for example, um, even though everyone was supposed to be going online and e-commerce was supposed to be the thing. Is it a binary outcome? Are there only winners and losers? How do you think about kind of trying to put that all together. Yeah, so there's, you know, my my favorite thing with the, with the share market, stock market really is there are many ways to win, right? Mm. So you don't have to have one particular formula, uh, one particular method, one particular approach to win. Um, so, uh, I mean, the GFC, so you use GFC as an example. Mm. Yes, Flight Center shares have done well from the GFC mm-hmm. bottom. Mm-hmm. But there are probably... A thousand other companies that have done a thousand <laughs> times better than Flight Center. I'm sure, that's true too. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so I mean, yes, Flight Center was good. I'm not saying people should invest in Flight Center, by the way. I'm no, not, no, I'm just using it as, stock, you know, okay. I'm just using it yeah. as an example. Yeah. So, like, I mean, there's always. So, I mean, yes, a company like Flight Center, which was going to go out of business or become less relevant, was a good return mm. from a certain price. Mm. At the same time, I think an innovative company mm. at that bottom probably would have been an even better return. So my own preference always is if I have to choose, I, I would pay up to buy a high quality business. Yeah. And even if when stuff is down, I still have a high preference for high quality business. Right, okay. Um, and and I, don't, I, I, I genuinely never want to bet um, on a company that is on the wrong side of innovation. Right, right, right. right. So I would not, like I mean, I'm, and it's not binary in the sense that I'm not trying to say that Flight Center is not innovating. What I'm basically trying to say is, if I had to buy a travel company at the depths of the GFC, I would buy something like Booking.com versus buying Flight Center. Yeah, just because I think that's on the right side of the innovation, on on the on the innovation scale, as an example. So, so that's how I look look at it. And I mean, you know, stuff doesn't die overnight, right? I mean, stuff. And when I said diet, it basically means it's just slow yeah, growth, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, anemic growth, revenues not mm-hmm. growing. It's it's that old model that takes a long time to sort of peter out. So, right, right. so that that's my view. Um, I, at the same time, I absolutely understand that you mm. know you can always make money uh, if stocks are mispriced, right? Mm. And if flight center is mispriced, and you you believe in that, well, that's what you should buy. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. It's um. Yeah, I, I, this I, I gotta say, you know, I struggle with this a little bit because there's, there's there's plenty of value traps in the hey not dead yet market. There's also plenty of 
potential risk in the hey this thing's going up keep up with the Joneses buy these shares you know let, let's go and chase the ch- chase the next winner I say that Doc by way of suggesting next week you really want to listen in because next week's Friday podcast we are going to vote solely to some great investing mistakes we're going to talk about some mistakes that we've made some mistakes we've seen from others and how you can avoid them the reason of course I'm going to be on holidays so I'm not going to be here so we're going to pre-record this one but I'm really looking forward to that conversation we've got about was it seven or eight I think doc um different mistakes that we've made that we've seen people make that we worry about people making if you want to make sure you can avoid some mistakes and by the way the reverse of a mistake is usually a way to make some money and actually have some success so understanding mistakes not only will hopefully save you from losing but also might put you on the right track for making some money so make sure you tune in next friday when the podcast goes live about 4 30 sydney time give or take and we will talk about some great investing mistakes mate before we go we've got time for one mailbag question you ready for it i'm ready for it let's do it this is interesting Hi, Scott and Doc. I'm a long, this is from Percy. I'm a long-time podcast listener and Motley Fool subscriber. Thank you, Percy. I would love your opinion on AGL. Speaking of businesses that maybe aren't necessarily future businesses, shares at a multi-year low. They announced that 100% of profit will be paid out in dividends for the next two years. Fool on Percy. Now, AGL, most people will know, is the old Australian gas light company, which gives a sense of how long it's been around and what it's done as a business for a very, very long time. No surprise to anybody that it's an energy generator and distributor. So those are all known entities. It's desperately trying, at least in theory, if you believe what they're saying, maybe it's greenwashing, maybe it's legit, to get into renewable energy. They're doing solar. They famously closed down the little power plant, much to uh, Matt Canavan and Josh Frydenberg and Scott Morris's displeasure. Uh, they want a more coal-fired power plants hanging around and they're going to close it and that's made everyone very, very grumpy. So AGL feels like, mate, it's trying to make a move into some sort of new world for good or for ill. And if you believe or don't believe what they're trying to say, they're trying to do it for the right reasons. What do you reckon? AGL, is it a business you kind of can see making the leap from old school fossil fuels to new school renewables? Is there money left in old school fossil fuels? How do you think about AGL? You know, I actually... I, Honestly, I don't think about AGL. <laughs> That's just harsh. That's harsh. So, so they say uh, the opposite of love is not hate, mate. It's apathy. So you are you are literally apathetic towards AGL. Yeah, like you know, like the market has got two thousand companies. <laughs> that you know, there are probably nineteen hundred companies on the yep. in in Australia. There are probably five thousand companies in the US. There's another probably five ten thousand companies elsewhere. I don't think about every company. You might be missing the best investment in the US. So that's okay. That's fine. I mean, I mean you know. So tell me, why don't you why don't you think about AGL? Well, that's, like that's it's what it's about. it's it's yeah. So it's a utility, right? Yeah. Utilities are slow moving, mm-hmm. dividend paying. They they're not multi baggers. They don't they don't they don't strike me as your sort of company, mate. No. So so I I want companies that are going to deliver me. My yep. my starting point is I want a ten x right or a five x. Yep. And you know a minimum five x is my starting point. And it's it's not I don't sell them when they're no longer not going to deliver me that after right. I've held them for five years. That I don't do. Okay. So right. I'm I'm yep, happy yep, yep. to I want to buy companies early. You want a fast start. I want to fast. I want to buy them early. I want to hold them through maturity. Uh, look, you know, as they become, you know, mature, stable. As they become an AGL, yeah, right. uh, Hopefully, not completely like AGL. <laughs> but, um, but you know, like a good, a good AGL. Yeah, and a, a good version of AGL. <laughs> AGL might be fine. I have no idea yeah, yeah. what AGL does. Yeah. Um, like I know what it does, but I, I don't know what. Like I don't know its balance sheet or yeah, its yeah. earnings. So that's that's my, idea. my you know buy them early, hold them through growth, Makes and sense. then there's going to be a point at which the company is going to deliver. <laughs> like you know high teens, you know, revenue growth and maybe earnings a little bit faster, even like, you know, high single digits, that's okay. (laughs) 
as long as I've got them early, and then I'm going to hold on to my. So you know, basically, I'm, I'm just deferring paying my taxes, and you know, <laughs> that's uh, always good. And yeah, uh, well. Uh, it's not good for the, ta- uh, you know, but I mean, it's good for the, it's good, it's good, good money management. You also get the compounding, really. Uh, you know, is something yeah. that has gone up four x when it goes, it even doubles. It's now in eight x, right? right? That's a lot right, of money. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, and that's so. that's and that's the other thing, right? See, the, the old line is, you know, what's something that's fallen ninety percent, something that fell eighty percent, then halved from there. So it's always possible to halve wherever you are. On the flip side, as you say, if something doubles, that's that's fantastic. But if you've already made four or five x on it, that turns your return into an eight to ten x. I mean, those. You know, a double from it, a double from it. Yeah, again, it's the value of compounding really—it's very clear. Think, just think about that for a second. Like, I don't want to yeah. overplay this, but think very clearly, listeners, about that. If you have a company that doubles, you, we'll all take company that doubles. But if it double from an already a four x, yeah, then you're straight to from four to eight x. Your money really starts working the faster that continue. And that's—I mean, it's compounding in general, right? In yeah. any, even slow compounding, the last double was where you make all your money. Um, if you start with you know ten thousand dollars, end up with a million. The last double from half a million to a million is where you make all your money. Yeah, but if, as you say, doc, in shorter periods of time or with individual companies, that can really work in your favour. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know, people will say that you know, like you, you, you had half a million dollars, you could have sold, and then you could have reinvested elsewhere, and yeah. then it grown at a faster rate. It's all possible, uh, but yeah. you know, like I mean, there's a there's a lot of counterfactual. There are a lot of other issues that you need to consider, right? Yeah. You'd 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 pay tax on the five hundred, you know, half a million that you've got, and then you have to find all the right investment that's going to grow at a faster rate. Maybe you only get to a million <laughs> million and uh, point something. Is it worth all that effort, right? I mean, there's there's a, there's a proportionality effort. You know, when a, you never know, yeah. a good thing, I just let the good thing be. So, I mean, you know, generally it kind of works. Sometimes it doesn't, but... Yeah, yeah. Nice one. I like it, mate. Speaking of which, it's probably a very good time for me to remind our listeners they can get some of your, hopefully, four, five, eight, or 10x potential opportunities if they join Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities. Now, it's a service you run with Kevin and you're looking for the big winners of tomorrow. Now, not every company is going to win and it's important to say you don't expect your portfolio to 10x. You're buying companies with hopes that some, maybe hopefully many, but certainly some will 10x and more than make up for those that don't go up quite as fast or maybe even some that go down because that's the sort of investing that you're doing. You're looking for high return opportunities that overall, despite some of the occasional losers, will do very, very nicely and show the market a clean pair of heels. I'm pretty pleased for our members and for our business, but mostly for our members, to say that you, you and Kevin are actually doing that right now. Your, your results are excellent and I expect fully expect that in time they will get lots better. If you want to be part of that, if you want to join Doc, and I think you should, and Kevin, at Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities, you got a chance to do that by going to Fool dot com dot au forward slash eo podcast you get a pretty good deal say it with me cheaper than a cup of coffee a week and you can join those guys as they search for the next big big winners on the asx and frankly why wouldn't you you should that wraps us up mate we're done but before we go Alyssa should be reminded they should subscribe to the triple m motley full money podcast through itunes your favorite android podcast app or at the Podcast One app on either of the two platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a rating. Five stars would be lovely. Leave us a review. Tell your friends. Write it in the sky. Tattoo it on your backside. No, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't forget you can get a dose of foolishness too and a little bit of marketing straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. Oh, big announcement, mate. What is it? Mailbag. Ooh. Special. Special. Mailbag edition this Sunday. Make Regular. Sure in for some foolish Sunday insight. Full on. Full on. 
The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.